The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Listeners can support this podcast by visiting patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Our tier one supporters receive access to our written content, our upcoming 2020 preseason projections, and complete CFF player rankings. In tier two, supporters receive access to view our 2020 FBS team profiles, including complete projected depth charts updated daily all year based on injuries, transfers, suspensions, and other personnel news. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge, tweet us at CFB Winning Edge, or email CFB Winning Edge at gmail.com to learn more. Welcome back. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, to follow him on Twitter. Nick, what's going on? How was the weekend? How's the week? How's everything going? Pretty pretty laid back weekend. The week uh, for the most part, uh, I've had a, a lot of things on the to do list. Got some things uh, done and, and some new things ready for the month of July for our patrons. And trying to shake off a little bit of a, a cold or some allergies or something. But uh, you know, excited to talk about uh, the Big Ten and, and the MAC, I suppose as well. But uh, the Big Ten is really. Really interesting. A lot going on. A lot of, lot of, uh, you know. We'll of course get into this, but some of the projections uh, swing wildly compared uh, to other conferences in terms of like who's favored according to our numbers, who would be favored if we looked at just talent, how coaching impacts things, and so it's it's going to be a very interesting uh, season, uh, you know, hoping of course that, that we get it, uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how our numbers shake out compared to what, uh, happens on the field. This, this big 10 is going to be a test. I think. Yeah. The, the big 10 always seems to have like tiers of competition. You have like your top teams that could go in the playoff, other teams that are still really good that could upset, upset anybody. And then, you know, uh, so, uh, which, which is in and out of, of, you know, tier two and tier three for that. But Xavier, how was your weekend and, and, uh, how are you doing, man? I'm good. It's been a weird week for some, uh, some teams in a conference that we're not going to talk about today. It's been uh, for the pac 12. Um, I don't know if both of you guys heard it, but it seems like under armor is trying to get rid of everybody, uh, not named Notre Dame. Uh, but other than that, and also and we'll get to it in just a second, uh, some not so good news for a school very close to me. Uh, but um, other than that, it's been pretty good for me. It's been pretty good. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't hear and I didn't uh, honestly, I didn't care too much about the Under Armour stuff. But what what is explain that to me? What's happening there? So first and foremost, Morehouse, uh, sorry, not Morehouse, Under Armour has lost about $500 million in the last quarter. And so it looks like they are trying to liquidate all assets that aren't bringing in revenue. So they essentially said on Monday that UCLA sucks. So we're trying to cancel that contract with them. Uh, they said loss of marketability. They suck. And then they're trying to cut Cal out of it as well. They're trying to get rid of them uh, for similar reasons. Um, and uh, it looks like what they're trying to do is they're trying to keep all the schools that they're affiliated with 
being Notre Dame and everybody on the East Coast. And they're trying any Western endeavors they're trying to get rid of. What the hell? That one, sounds one thing like an I, East Coast bias. Sorry, Nick. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's all right. One, one thing I heard, uh, I, I haven't you know, dived into it much uh, either, but I saw something about apparently Cal didn't sign their agreement. And so that potentially could mm-hmm. allow mm-hmm. Under Armour, like give Under oh. Armour <laughs> Uh, sort of a, a free pass, like free a, a, a year or two at the most into this deal. And, and apparently they don't actually have like a formal mm-hmm. uh, signature. So how that, I uh, mean, yeah, everybody I needs to be fired <laughs> if that's the case Like on both sides. Like, what are you doing? You don't have a signed agreement. So what are you doing? Sending them stuff. And, and you know, how could you never sign something so that they could easily weasel their way out of this stuff so i mean look you know if you're losing 500 million dollars you're probably not far from bankruptcy anyway so um you know i'm assuming all that stuff but also why isn't nike sponsoring everybody do they only have oregon you know wouldn't it make sense for nike to sponsor the pac-12 since yeah they're close and their headquarters is in portland or whatever i mean hey would you sponsor ucla at this point I wouldn't. No, that's not, I, that's I not mean, money I'm willing to put my. <laughs> but I still uh, hold the grudge for UCLA. Uh, you know, scoring 67 points on Washington State when I picked up their defense last year. So <laughs> uh, I'm still I'm not over it. So uh, especially, uh, and then we talked about this on the last. The, I was going to say we talked show. about this yesterday. Yesterday, yeah, <laughs> that, that we did. Uh, I'm still not over it. Clearly, so uh, and I'll never like Chip Kelly. But anyway, uh, we got we got way more stuff to talk about but let's take a temperature first here guys and uh well you know what before we do that nick there's all kinds of new stuff on the patreon obviously it being july 1st as we're recording this so a bunch of new stuff has dropped why don't you tell us what is new on the cfb winning edge patreon yeah so obviously uh right now we're we're setting up or or in full swing basically our preseason projections and prediction uh previews basically conference by conference previews and last week if if you missed it we did the sec and the sun belt but uh today being july 1st uh released our full projections for all 130 teams all fbs conferences so everything that we are talking about uh is now available to our patrons so uh if you're you know everybody who's got access to the team profiles already can see our power ratings, power rankings, all of that. But we have it broken down into, you know, conference by conference charts of uh, the number of games each team favored to win, uh, talent edges where we pull out home field advantage and coaching effects and things like that, and just who's got the most talented team, ran the, uh, you know, uh, the uh, projected who would win, who would lose just based on that. Uh, Also, take our win probabilities and add those all up for every individual game gives us our overall projected wins for each team and and then predictions sort of taking all that information into account and uh, making our best guess on what that final record will be so that uh, our patrons, if they're so interested and just sort of for our own uh, educational purposes, going back and, and seeing Uh, what we got right, what we got wrong, and what improvements we can make. So we can compare these to uh, win totals posted by, uh, we've included the current Vegas Insider 
win totals. And, and that's what we're going to refer to uh, during these shows, but also, you know, others that have been published in, in the past, DraftKings, and, and then some updated ones that I'm sure we'll be getting uh, in the next few weeks as we get closer to uh, the scheduled kickoff. But uh, anybody who is interested in, in, you know, not waiting for us to talk about uh, the Pac-12 or you know, the AAC or, or whoever else is uh, later on in the schedule, all of that information is available to our patrons uh, at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for uh, our supporters who are interested. Uh, we've also got in our FBS team profiles sort of the, the final uh, big piece, big project that was uh, really annoying to me, so I kept pushing it <laughs> off. But uh, our position usage tables are, are finished for uh, our team-by-team uh table so in each you know you can go to the alabama team profile and you can look down and see okay how many uh you know running plays did quarterbacks account for running backs account for receivers even you know how many receptions did running backs get we went through and and tallied all of those uh just sort of to see you know what percentage of running plays go to running backs, what percentage go to quarterbacks, things like that. And so those are available for uh, team by team, but also uh, this weekend, or excuse me, this weekend next, I will be compiling all of that information into uh, bigger, you know, an FBS uh, chart so you can see all, uh, you know, all 130 in, in one place. And then I'll actually be breaking it down. So it, uh, a file that's just quarterbacks only. So you can look and, and dive deeper in. I think this this sort of thing is going to be probably uh, most useful to like CFF players when you're looking for what teams, uh, whether it's a coaching change or, or whatever, you can look at past teams and see, okay, you know, how often did they run the quarterback? How often uh, did they throw to the running back? That type of stuff. But I think everybody, you know, might find it interesting, but I think it'll be particularly useful for, uh, college fantasy football players. And this is it. the right, uh, I, I shared it on the screen here, Nick. Yeah. Um, it, this is the right screen, right? Where it's, that's it. Showing... Yeah. Keep, keep scrolling down, keep scrolling down a little bit. Yeah, so those I'm are all receiving. the, <laughs> so all that there down at, ah. at the bottom. So, uh, you'll be able to, to look oh, at, you know, who, right here. I love <laughs> who's, this. uh, you know, how uh, the, the wide receiver one, you know, what, what percentage of, receptions went to the number one receiver because some some teams spread it around a little bit more than others some focus on you know one main guy uh how many carries did the top running back get and, and so there are certain reasons why numbers would fluctuate some of it is based on play calling and things like that some of it's based on uh injuries you know if a team split carries it, it might have been an indicator that uh that team had some injury issues last year so there's a, a lot of you know, information I think that can be gleaned from these. I, I like to see those sort of numbers, and, and my hope is that uh, some of our supporters would be interested in that as well. So got it all done for the, the team by team and, and working uh, over the next week or so to, to get it all finished up so that, you know, you can see it on the grand scale and in a little more detail. Uh, got some, was able to get my hands on some data, you know, for designed quarterback runs, scrambles, things like that. So uh, we'll be fleshing those things out a little bit more as well. And, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, talk about some of those specific things a little later in our previews. And then as we get into the season as well. Absolutely. So uh, great stuff over on the CFP Winning Edge Patreon. Now, the, the first thing in the uh, newsworthy is kind of an opinion. And it is, and we're just probably going to do this most weeks, 
until the season starts or doesn't start. But uh, Nick, uh, we'll start with you. What is your, have you had any fluctuation in your thoughts of the possibility of the season uh, starting on time or being delayed or possibly being canceled? So this time last week, I mentioned that I was, I think, more pessimistic than I had been in a while. And, and I don't know that I've gotten more pessimistic, but I'm, I'm not necessarily feeling great. <laughs> it, it, yeah. You know, everything that's happened in the last seven days hasn't necessarily uh, made me, you know, feel more optimistic that college football is going to look similar in 2020 to what it did in, in 2019. So uh, I'm a, a little bit worried, but hopefully, you know, there does seem to be a little bit more momentum. We're seeing a lot of coaches all across the country, politicians all across the country, you know, telling people wear a mask if you're going outside. And, and specifically, I know in some Southern states, it's, it's finally being marketed more of like, hey, if you want college football season to happen, wear a mask. And, and personally, I think that's a, a smart thing to do. And I also want a college football season. So I, I will be wearing my mask and I hope everybody else is as well. But uh, Xavier, you, you were about to mention something, I think, of, uh, you know, definitely a, a sign of uh, unfortunate uh, uh, things that, that were happening that maybe you're a, you know, a, a concern, yeah. a concerning yeah. sign. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so uh, Xavier, hit us with it. Yeah, I mean, am I muted? I'm here. Okay. Um, no, yeah, uh, it's been – I've talked about this, and we've had conversations with this for a while now, talking about how we don't know what this means for the FCS level um, and how those are the people that we're probably fearful of the most won't be able to have a season. Well, earlier this week, Morehouse has decided to cancel its season for 2020. Um I have a lot of friends who have played for Morehouse. I have some who still play for Morehouse. So this was this really hit home for me. And it was kind of the first sign of some of these schools aren't going to be able to do it. Uh, some of the, a lot of these schools have the opportunity now to make that kind of decision. And with a school like Morehouse, who really is one of those few FCS schools that don't have that much of a problem with funding, for them to cancel their football season shows that the pandemic is what is is the minority or majority reason versus funding like we've talked about with some other schools. So it was something that had me a little bit down in the dumps when it comes to football a little bit, because when a school of the size of Morehouse decides to end their program, um, it's kind of like, you know, or in their uh, cancel their season, it's really uh, a slap in the face for all the schools who don't have the funding that Morehouse do, that don't have the ability that Morehouse have to, to pay for these situations. And it just makes me fearful for a lot of FCS programs that may not be able to uh, afford to play this season. Um, and it, it, it makes me hurt for the kids, uh, you know, who, who won't be able to play for the season either. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, my, my growing sense of doom is more related to my state than it is to, uh, college football as a whole, because I, I'm still optimistic that we'll get college football. And, and I do think we will, I don't think we'll get fans in the stands in most places. Uh, but I, I think, you know, some of these states, California, Arizona, Texas, Florida, that those are really the big ones right now where we're seeing these numbers, these numbers spike so high. And, you know, the University of Arizona, I don't know that ASU has done it yet, but they have uh, just suspended. They were having kids return to campus and they've suspended it now. Uh, so, uh, you know, don't expect to be able to go back to the campus at the start of 
the school year. And that is the big thing. If these schools aren't going to have kids on campus, how can they then turn around and ask the, uh, you know, the, the players to come to campus? It's, it's too big of an ask unless everybody signs a waiver, which would not be surprising to see a lot of kids do because they just want to play. You know what I mean? But there are going to be plenty that don't. So it, it, I don't know if that is really a viable option. And the the problem with college football versus other sports, you know, we, we're seeing baseball is coming back. There are many players opting out there. Basketball has even more players opting out for their restart. But, you know, uh, I, that they're all under one organized union in the NBA PA, the MLB PA, the NFL PA. College football doesn't have that. They don't have a unionizing driving force. So it's hard to set a standard or uh, even enforce a standard because of that. So that, that would be my concern. But I think we'll learn a lot for college football in the next month, seeing baseball come back, seeing basketball come back, which could you know, lean us more towards, I mean, I still think we're going to get college football. It may not be the same. We may not be able to keep the schedule. Some teams may not even play, but I will, we'll get some form of college football, which is why on all the CFF shows I do with Nick and with John and all those places, I say, wait until the last second to draft, wait until mm-hmm. you possibly can the latest you possibly can to draft. So you have all the pertinent information, because if you draft, you know, uh, Josh Fields and Ohio State says, nope, we're not playing. You're going to be pretty pissed, and, and you should be. So, you know, it, it's it's that kind of thing that, that we're waiting for. But in the meantime, while we're kind of looking to see if it starts, you can place bets, and you can always get that <laughs> money back. And right. so, uh, you know, obviously we're going to be talking win totals today in the Big Ten and the MAC. But a couple other uh, newsworthy things here, Kylan Hill and the Mississippi State flag. Holy crap. That was so fast. I couldn't believe it. I was kind of, you know, before with Kylan Hill, I was saying that's a big ask, but you know, he was one of the main forefront, uh, you know, pushers of this narrative and it got changed like that. So I, I couldn't be more happy about it. And I'm happy that we're going to get Kylan Hill seemingly back, uh, Uh going. So Nick, your thoughts on Kylan Hill and the Mississippi state flag and all of that, it was really fast. Yeah, it was. And and this time last week, I mean, I think I said that, you know, I didn't, I, I was nervous that, uh, I, I wasn't super optimistic that it would, that it would change this quickly, obviously, but you know, yeah, kudos to Kylan Hill, uh, his teammates, the, the schools in the state of Mississippi that, uh, got all the coaches together, sent them to the Capitol and, and helped lobby, uh, the legislature there to, to pull down, the state flag and and uh, they, as I understand, I, I believe there'll be a vote in November on a, a new design. But yeah, they you know within the period of, of just a few days, you know, less than a week uh, after Kylan Hill sort of said, "Bring it down," or, or "I'm not playing," and then you know got backed up by a lot of folks um, that. Uh, <laughs> I distracted. That's my fault. So <laughs> uh, I, I, I distracted these guys with with a note in the chat. That's that's uh, my apologies, Nick. I didn't mean to, to catch you off guard there. No worries, no worries. But but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I lived in that state for a couple of years, and and uh, sort of the it, it gave me an experience that that didn't make me think that 
this would happen this quickly, but we're in a moment right now and, and uh, players, especially at the college level have, have realized sort of the power they have and have stepped up to uh, use that power to create real change and, and kudos to Callan Hill and his teammates and uh, the uh, intercollegiate athletics folks in that state uh, were able to, to put things, you know, move things in the right direction and, and bring the flag down. And I, I personally think that's a, a great thing. Yeah, Xavier, your thoughts on this? Because, I mean, you know, Nick and I talked about it a little bit yesterday on the ITLCFF show, not as in-depth, but uh, just the the quickness that this happened with was utterly shocking to me. You know, I was kind of like, come on, man, please don't say that because that means you're probably not going to play. That was my first thought process was, please don't say this, but it changed so fast. I think people are just ready for, for some, some real change and, and, yeah. and that's good. You know? Yeah. Uh, it, we've been, you know, for the people who have been to Mississippi here, let's, let's just be honest. It's Mississippi. The, the likelihood of them changing anything is slim. The likelihood yeah. of them changing their state flag was even slimmer. And, and for it to have happened as quickly as it did, just, I think like Nick said, and like Scott, you said, you know, talks about the times that we're in right now. Um, this was a state that it took them to 1994 to ratify the Civil Rights Act. So just kind of give you an idea of the difference uh, of where Mississippi has been in its lifetime before. Uh, so for this to happen, it's amazing. Shout out to Kylan Hill and, you know, both schools, because I think if there was any kind of divide anywhere, then this would not have this not would not have happened. Uh, so, you know, kudos to Kylan Hill. And, uh, you know, for once, I can say kudos to the state of Mississippi. That doesn't happen all. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's, yeah, I mean, there's some real change uh, occurring in, in Mississippi. I mean, polling showed that uh, I think upwards of 60% of the population was uh, in favor of changing the flag, removing the flag. So, uh, you know, I, I have fond memories of, of my time in Mississippi and, and enjoyed uh, the time I spent there. I met a lot of great people. Uh, but there, there are certainly, you know, some changes that, that needed to be made. And, and this is uh, a very positive step in the right direction. So happy to see it. As Nick wanted to say, they're a prideful bunch in Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Prideful bunch. And uh, th there's other news uh, along those lines too. Um, you know, just with the, you know, Akram Wadley coming out to talk, uh, you know, about Iowa and Brian Ferentz again, which, you know, is uh, anytime you get this stuff called out, I, I think is good. So I'm glad we're at least getting it on the table. And then uh, the Utah defensive coordinator, Morgan Scaly, is going to keep his job after an investigation to his use of a racial slur in a text message in 2013. Um, but uh, that that's it. I, I, to be honest, I don't know a lot about that situation. I yeah. read what Akram Wadley wrote. Um, and uh, I've been connected to Akram Wadley for a long time because I thought he was going to be so good. And he didn't even get drafted. He had a terrible combine. So I had to take oh. a bunch of crap for that. But I'm glad, you know, he was able to to call this stuff out. We were talking about it a little bit pre-show, Nick. Uh, these two situations um, suck. You know, there, there's no other, uh, you know, way way to phrase that. You know, it's not that they're, they're not unfortunate. It, it You know, they suck. They're, they're bad situations. So um, what, what are your thoughts on, on Akram Wadley uh, calling out his former coach and Morgan Scaly actually keeping his job? Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, it, it's interesting that just sort of the situations that are going on across the country. And again, another, another instance where players are, are realizing the, 
the power that they have. And then, you know, of course, former players uh, basically, you know, could have spoken up at any point, but now I think it, there's a shift in, uh, in philosophy where, you know, we're, we're seeing it a lot more and, and it's, it's, uh, causing some, again, some, some positive change. And, and hopefully I was going to be moving in a positive situation. Uh, there certainly are still some concerns, especially, you know, Brian Ferentz is still on staff there. And uh, it seemed like they were setting him up to be, you know, sort of the, the next guy whenever Kurt Ferentz uh, moved on and, and retired. It, it sort of seemed like there was a succession plan maybe in place. That was sort of my, my read on it. And, and there are maybe people closer to the program that might have a different view, but that's sort of what it seemed like uh, in my mind. But this is sort of setting up to make that uh, pretty unlikely, it, it, it seems. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that uh, we only had sort of one casualty on the coaching staff there at Iowa because we've seen dozens of, you know, people come out of allegations of uh, racial discrimination and, and just – you know, all, all sorts of uh, very unfortunate things, you know. They, they can't be far away from the broom, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you know, it will, we'll of course see, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. But, I mean, yeah. Ference himself, Kirk Ferentz is, is close to 70, if not already 70. So you have to think that it's, it's probably coming time, but I would now feel that, uh, you know, Brian Ferentz probably would be an underdog to be the successor. And, and somewhat similarly, similarly, there was sort of a, you know, a handshake or spoken agreement that Morgan Scaley was the head coach in waiting at Utah when, whenever Cal uh, Whittingham uh, stepped away and, and sort of part of this investigation. One of the things that happened is uh, he recently agreed to uh, a, a raise that was going to pay him uh, over a million dollars per year. And that, has been cut back down to his uh, previous salary, which, you know, still uh, really, you know, paid really well, but basically a 50% pay cut. And then uh, he's no longer, at least at the moment, considered the head coach in waiting. So there, there were some, some consequences, but pretty, pretty surprised that, that Scaly uh, survived this with his, his job intact, quite honestly. But, uh, you know, I mean, I've seen some quotes afterwards, and it, it seems like he's uh, seems seems like you know, hopefully that that uh, he has looked inward and and you know, making some changes and and accepts full responsibility. So we'll see. You know, it's it's up to the players, and it's up to the program as, as far as if they will uh, accept him, and and that goes for everybody at Iowa as well. So it'll it'll certainly be interesting to see how it all plays out. Uh, with both teams, but uh, a little bit surprised that that he survived specifically. And, and then, yeah, I was going to be something to watch, and, and I'm sure that'll come up when we talk about them in a little bit more in depth uh, as we're previewing a little later in the show. Xavier, your thoughts on uh, all this stuff with the coaches at Iowa and then Morgan Scaley over at uh, Utah? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit shocked that Morgan Scaley was able to keep his job, quite frankly. Uh, you would think with the climate that's kind of going on right now that – you know, anything that could even be, you know, a possibility is something that you do not want out of your program. Uh, now, Nick, you kind of hit it right on the head. He had more to be able to take away. Uh, so maybe that is was his reprimanding, um, you know, if you losing the raise and losing his ability to, you know, kind of slot right in there as head coach may have been, the, you know, the slap on the wrist 
kind of, okay, this is, you know, strike one and two. You get one more, you're out of here. Uh, but I'm still shocked that he was able to keep his job. And as far as from, uh, what Akim Wadley said, uh, I, I'm shocked that the whole coaching staff is still there. Uh, you know, I, I think yeah. that, you know, I think that it's, it's just a slippery slope right now that they're going down. You know, it started with this uh, the strength and conditioning coach. You know, you've got you now you have four more players coming out. And I think, you know, as that continues, it's just going to be, you know, harder and harder and harder for the athletic director and, and the, the hierarchy at that school to justify keeping any of those people there. So I think it's going to be really tough uh, to see that happen um, anytime soon. Thank you. Yeah. Nick. Yeah. Nick. Uh, um, <laughs> but, but the, um, you know, like the, the thing with Morgan Scaly is okay. His thing was one incident. Maybe it was a bad incident. I honestly don't know what he said in the text message. Right. I, I haven't, you know, I haven't dived into that either. I, I did read what Akram Wadley said, and he was like the sixth or seventh player to say something along the same lines. That's why I think I'm not that surprised at the Scaly thing from Utah. You know, is because it might. I don't think we've heard multiple things. Uh, right. I think we've heard one thing. So, okay, a mistake, and it was whatever seven, eight years ago. Uh, so you can you can grow from a mistake, but you know, having these problems over and over and over, multiple and over, players yeah. in different eras as well. That in Iowa, it, it, yeah. and I understand Iowa fans not wanting to get rid of Kirk Ferentz. He's been there a long time. He's a staple, and he is not the one. Uh, I, I don't think I've heard him directly involved in some of these, May, maybe some of them where he should have stepped in and said something and he didn't, but it all happens under his watch. And that's, you know, the, the Herm Edwards, you either coached it that way or you allowed it to happen, whether it's something within the organization that's bad like that or on the field production, that's kind of what he says. So, you know, uh, and I and I agree with that sentiment. So it, it uh, is weird to see Iowa. I think there will be a sweeping change. You know, maybe and it might just take you know a couple more of these things to happen uh, before um, you know anything major happens. And surprisingly, Nick, we don't have any transfer news up here today. There were I don't think there were many transfers, were there? This week? Uh, there were there were a few under the radar. A couple of LSU guys uh, have. Oh. Transferred uh, defensive players. Uh, Who was one the ended linebacker? Up at Texas Tech. Uh, the, so, I remember. I specifically remember the linebacker uh, when LSU did something. He ran up to the kids that were being yes, recruited yes. by the other school oh. and said, "Come to LSU." And now he's transferring out, uh, was which is yeah? just a funny Marcel story. Brooks. Was Marcel Brooks. That's who mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, he yeah, was in that funny. video. Yes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> and uh, and then a, a senior safety, Eric Monroe, who played in 28 games, made a start, uh, transferred to Texas Tech. And, and so, you know, probably a pretty high likelihood that he uh, plays a, a lot for the Red Raiders, if not starts. So it, it's interesting because LSU has had more transfers than I would have expected based on Especially the coming of production. Off of yeah. Well, that, and, and just, you know, they lost, what, uh, 14 – Guys got drafted, and, and then yeah. you know a couple others uh, ran out of eligibility. I mean, they're they're a lot of these guys were going to play a lot, you know, at least looking at things on paper, and, and for them to transfer uh, was a surprise. I mean, I, I don't know if it tells us anything specifically about you know any anything that's going on there, but uh, it's it's you know it, 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 I raise an eyebrow when I see more than a dozen guys leave a team. Uh, 
uh, via the, the transfer portal, especially a team that has so Needs many. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and defensively, you know, a lot of uh, – they needed linebackers. You know, no, all three uh, starting linebackers yeah, they got were the drafted from in the first North 100 Dakota picks State. last year. Yeah, they got, got him and, and, you know, some other guys ready to step up. Brooks was – uh, I think fourth on our depth chart. So, you know, the, basically the, the first guy uh, not expected to start, but you know, that, that uh, you're going to play a lot of snaps. Yeah. First guy position. off the bench. So, yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen some um, uh, waivers being, uh, I think NC state got a couple waivers today um, and a couple other schools got some waivers. So those seem to be trickling in a little bit. So we'll see if, uh, more of those come in and all that stuff. So, but let's get to the Big Ten and the Mac preview. I'm excited about this one, fellas. I mean, uh, should we just Nick start at the very tippy top and go to Ohio State, who uh, in the uh, Big Ten is ranked one, uh, ranked three in the country, and I, I mean the the Big Ten East one, but. They got a crazy high team strength rating uh, here, and they're favored to be uh, twelve and zero. They got talent edges in all twelve games. Uh, projected wins for us are ten point six seven, so eleven and one, eight and one within uh, the conference. And uh, the Vegas Insider win total is eleven here. So is this one that you have looked at? Seen Ohio State with all of this returning talent and all of this five stars. Uh, you know, being recruited four stars, you know, their, their tough game every year is really Michigan. And for six straight years, they have pounded in Michigan. So, uh, you know, not pounded, but they beat them every single year. So uh, it seems like Ohio state is close. I, I, I think Ohio state and Clemson to me are the closest to a virtual ro- lock to get into the playoff this year. Yeah, it, it seems that way. And, and I mentioned it in a long preamble last week for sort of where all these ratings and rankings mean specifically. But, uh, you know, if, if you miss that, our, our projections, which are not based on opinion, they're, they're based on uh, our individual ratings and, and, you know, math and probabilities and, and things like that. They're, they're pretty conservative. So it's, it's pretty rare. I think only I think only one team we actually predict to go undefeated, and, and that's Clemson. Uh, so for Ohio State, to that predicted record 11-1, we, we've seen them slip up in the past. They lost to uh, Purdue a, a few years ago, or a couple of years ago. They lost to uh, Iowa the, the year prior to that, uh, very unexpectedly. And, and so, you know, that can happen from time to time. It didn't happen last year because, in a lot of ways, Ohio State was the best team in the country. I mean, they were... Uh, number one in our team performance ratings, basically all, uh, pretty much all year until LSU finally passed them in, in the playoff. But uh, they, you know, last year were arguably the the. I mean, there there are still some uh, some folks that that I respect in the industry who, who have gone down on record to say Ohio State was the best team in the country, and they think that. Uh, Ohio State could have beaten LSU. It's unfortunate we didn't get to well, see that game. But, yeah, uh, you know, one blown call. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Ohio State fans are still mad, and I don't blame them. I don't blame them for still being mad. I don't want to hear it. Xavier <laughs> <laughs> does. Xavier blames them. Calls. Yeah. But you know, you know, going going into this year, there are some spots where inexperience is a you know a tiny bit of an issue. We don't 
100% know what the running back situation is. Uh, there's no quote-unquote starting uh, receiver returning, even though the, the receiver group is arguably the most talented in the country. They're actually number one in our position strength ratings. But, uh, you know, the secondary is, is inexperienced. Sean Wade's the only returning starter. But everybody else is so talented. Ohio State, according to our like roster strength numbers on offense, they're number one in the country. On defense, number one in the country. Overall, number one in the country. This is, is the most talented team in the country. Uh, our numbers do think that they have the best receiving core. Our offensive line numbers, they're only number four. But, I, I, you know, a lot of uh, evaluators think that this is one of the top one or two offensive lines in the country as far as, you know, what they actually look like on film. And, and Justin Fields, probably the the number one, if not number two, quarterback uh, in the country. So, you know, there there is so much elite talent on this team. Really, there's no weaknesses. You look through their top 20 and everything, even, you know, the, the secondary that lost, what, two first-round mm-hmm. uh, first picks and, and another guy got drafted. Uh, they're, they're still a top 20 unit, second best secondary in, in the Big Ten. So it's, it's an absolutely stacked team. Uh, but I do think that it's going to be really, really hard to go undefeated, partly because 2020 is going to be so weird. Uh, right. partly because they play both Michigan and Penn State. When if you look at they our, have Oregon on the road week two, they do. That's that's a great point. And so, you know, uh, the, we expect them to win each of those games by a fairly big margin. We wouldn't necessarily call e- any of them toss ups. And, and only one is projected to be within one possession. And that's on the road at Penn State. And, you know, if that were a whiteout situation, 100 10,000, however many folks uh, there on a, a Saturday night, that's an incredibly difficult place to play. It might be a whiteout situation, but it'll be because they covered up all the stands. Right. So, with a white banner, right? Yeah. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit about it last week, like I said, in that preamble, <laughs> that home field advantage. Uh, we might have to make some adjustments to, to what these projections look like based on what we hear officially as far as fans and stands and and things like that. So, you know, that situation, that Penn state game, they would be favored by about a touchdown. uh, If, if home field advantage were not part of it right now, they're favored by about four points, which equates to a 59% win probability. So, you know, you, you think, okay, they play that game 10 times. Ohio state's going to win six of them. That's, that's, Fairly close to a, a toss-up. We've got a 69% chance that they'll beat Oregon. We've got a 77% chance that they beat Michigan. If you look at those on average, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we expect them to beat each team individually uh, on a given day. But you add those probabilities up, and, and you know, on average, they're going to lose a game. We just don't know which which one it's going to be. So Ohio State is absolutely a, a national championship contender. They are. Uh, my favorite to, to win the Big Ten, and, and they are the most talented team in the country as far as our uh, numbers go. Uh, but it's going to be very difficult to go undefeated. And it's, you know, if they slip up, it's just sort of seeing where it would be. And, and I think if anybody can catch them, um, we'll get to this in more depth here soon, but I, I think Penn State uh, could be the one to do it. So 11 wins, they're projected. Uh, and we're all picking over or under. And you did some nice tap dancing there. 
Don't don't let me uh, <laughs> don't let me uh, d- dive out of it here. But are you going over or under on eleven? So our our win projection is technically under eleven, ten point six seven. Round that up. However, and as much as I was sort of I guess being the devil's advocate, if if I had to choose, and this is not one I would suggest. Yeah, and I uh, yeah. but I probably would go over just because they are going to be the more talented team every week. Uh, I, I have liked what I've seen out of Brian Day. He doesn't have a perfect head coach rating despite his almost perfect uh, record just because we only have, you know, one, one year and what, four games the previous year of, of track record. So there's still a little, little bit that we don't quite know, but I'm, you know, I, I basically have seen all I personally need to see. Uh, to know that he's one of the top coaches in, in the Big Ten, if not uh, potentially in, in the country. So I think Ohio State has what it takes to, to run the table. I would personally side over, but I'm not going to be at all shocked if they lose one game. Probably would be shocked if they lose two, though. So if you right. choose the over and they hit 11, then, you know, it's it's a push. But uh, I would I would have to lean over. I don't think I'd bet on any team to go undefeated. I think that's a mm-hmm. foolish bet. Uh, either way. So if the, the number is 11 and you have to hit 12 to win that, I wouldn't bet it. If I had to pick because the three of us are picking <laughs> for this, I would pick Ohio State to win 12 games because I do think that they have that they're going to win all of these. If they lose one, I won't be shocked if it's a drop on the road at Oregon week two, especially with this year being weird. But I think because Oregon is switching quarterbacks this year and they have less experience, I still I think that they're going to beat Oregon. Um, the hardest game is at Penn State. I think they're just too good for Penn State. Still, wouldn't be surprised if they dropped that one. And then uh, the last game that I think they could lose because I think they easily win uh, everything else is against Michigan. But that is also at home this year, mm-hmm. uh, and Michigan lost their starting quarterback too, and they're keeping theirs. So I, uh, for me, it's easy Ohio State. Uh, to win 12 games this year. If they drop one, I'm going to be surprised. Xavier, you seem to be kind of in that same boat where we're all going to pick over on them. No, I'm going under. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, I don't like week two versus Oregon. There's just something, you know, yes, they don't have the fan base out there. It's not going to be raucous up there in Oregon. But there's something about going to the West Coast, second week of a weird year, you're just trying to get acclimated. You're just trying to get the momentum going, and you have to go play on the West Coast, which is never easy to acclimate to that time difference. It's never great to play that game. It is a ah, uh, y'all East Coasters are wussies. It's fine. It's not that <laughs> it's hard. Not fine. Anytime I go to the West Coast, I suck for like two days. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, so I just I don't like that game. Uh, I don't know what it is, but Ohio State every year has a game where they play only one half of football. And I think it's going to be that game. I think they're going to – they may lose to Oregon. Uh, and when I look at the rest of the schedule, yes, I think the Penn State game is a circle game. I think that that game is going to decide who wins that uh, the Easter, east side of the Big Ten. And I, I, I just have this feeling that regardless of whether or not it's, you know, a whiteout with 102,000 people there, Penn State is going to be up for that ball game and going to win that game. Uh, I think Michael Parsons is just going to have to have an amazing game, but I think they're going to get it done. Um, and so I, I'm going to go under for Ohio State. I, I don't like 11 wins. Um, Nick said it last week, and it kind of really made me rethink a lot of my opinions on teams. 
And he was like, I don't see that. I think this is going to be the year that we might have a bunch of two lost teams at the top of college football because of how weird the year is. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think Ohio State's one of those two, two lost teams. Now, uh, a team that I think ha- that has an even easier schedule than Ohio State mm-hmm. is Penn State. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we got them at two in the East, seven overall, so a top 10 team. Uh, this is why they're the con- the one of the more concerning games for Ohio State, especially with that game being at home for them. Uh, they're favored in uh, to go 11-1, town edges in 11 out of 12 games. The only one they don't have the edge in is the Ohio State game. Projected wins, 9.9, so 10-2 and two, uh, is our projected total for them, and 9.5 is the Vegas insider win total. So when you look at the schedule, um, you know, the out-of-conference games, week two, they got another tough one. They're on the road a lot like uh, um, Ohio State is, but it's against Virginia Tech, which is not the same type of opponent. Plus, it's not traveling to the West Coast, like Xavier said. Uh, Then they're at Michigan October 3rd, which is a tough game. Ohio State at home on October 24th. After that, I mean, these games aren't easy, at Nebraska, at Indiana, you know, at home against Michigan State, you know, those are all tougher games, but games that Penn State, as far as talent level, should have a very large edge in. So uh, I think this one is actually a bettable number, uh, Nick. If the win total is nine and a half, I actually kind of like to go over that because I think they're better than Michigan and I think they could beat Ohio State too. So. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, depending on what the actual odds are, if there's still some value on on over, uh, I, I think I do like that. I mean, they're they're according to our projected win percentages and our, our projected point spreads. Uh, basically, the only games that are anywhere near toss ups are Michigan and, and Ohio State. We have them favored by 13 over Iowa. They get Iowa at home. That's always going to be a difficult game. And, and Iowa is a team that uh, can do things schematically to kind of like, you know, slow the game down, keep things closer than maybe uh, we would expect them to be on paper. But based on just pure talent alone, Penn State is, is pretty heavy. Uh, as far as talent edges go in that game and, and you know, getting them at home, uh, depending on what actually that looks like, uh, still we would expect double digit, uh, a, a double digit point spread on, on, on that one. So uh, they're over two touchdowns favored against, you know, Indiana, Nebraska, even Virginia Tech uh, in the uh, non-conference week two matchup. Uh, difficult environment typically, you know, in, in Blacksburg, but a uh, little less uh, perhaps based on, again, what that stadium looks like. But I, I really like Penn State. And, and, you know, Xavier mentioned a couple of my favorite players, uh, number one being Micah Parsons. I've said before on this show that I think that uh, he has the potential to be, you know, the Chase Young of, of 2020. He's the guy that week in, week out, might get enough buzz to get him to New York for the Heisman presentation. Um, you know, not he would have to do some incredible things statistically to to win it, but I think that he's a surefire All-American. He's somebody that's going to uh, get a lot of buzz. And, and you know, if they if they do some fun things like let him return a kick every once in a while, or if he can, you know, have a pick six or two, get a get a lot of sacks, which would be sort of out of character for the way they've used him a little bit in the past. But they might, you know, try to put him 
uh, in situations to be more of an edge rusher at times. So uh, we shall see. But he's definitely one of my favorite players to watch. The defensive line is going to be really, really good. Uh, it you know only two starters coming back, but the you know they've rotated so many, and and the guys that are uh, projected to start are already in the rotation have had a lot of playing time. So uh, expect very good things. Out of that defense, the running back position is stacked. The offensive line, you know, finally is is perhaps going to be a strength uh, for Penn State. You hope Sean Clifford takes a little bit of a step forward in year two as a starter. He, he you know, showed some good things at times uh, last year. But uh, you hope he takes a little bit of a step forward, and, and they are going to need somebody to step up in the receiving core. Pat Firemuth might be the best tight end in the country, but they're going to need a playmaker. They're really going to miss K.J. Hamler. Mm-hmm. Uh as a, as a wide receiver. So uh, hopefully again, somebody will be able to, to step up there. They get a little bit better quarterback play. And, and I think the defense is good enough to compete uh, with Ohio state, whether or not they can actually knock them off and get to the big 10 championship. But uh, you know, if, if what Xavier just said, you know, comes, comes true and Ohio state wins or excuse me, loses two games, uh, I think Penn State absolutely is a playoff contender. Could you know we could see the situation where uh, Penn State wins that game, both of them in with one loss, and Ohio State gets into the playoff. Penn State wins the Big Ten, gets into the playoff, and we're talking about two Big Ten teams. So I think that that's absolutely possible. I, I would not be at all uh, shocked if if Penn State gets in. I, I before I really started running the numbers uh, in my own sort of pecking order. Uh, in January when I was kind of thinking about who would be coming back and, and looking at uh, who I expected to leave Ohio State, things like that. I thought Penn State was going to be, you know, ranked fourth or fifth. So seventh is a little bit outside of where I would expect them to make, obviously, the uh, the playoff, but it's certainly within striking distance. And I think it's right where LSU was this time last year, to be honest. So uh, I think that they have that potential. I'm not sure that they're going to be you know, uh, once in a generation type offense that we saw at LSU, but I think Penn State is in that the conversation for you know that that team who sort of breaks through and become you know makes their first playoff appearance. Xavier, your thoughts on on Penn State? Oh well, first Nick, uh, uh, you know. Oh yeah, I forget he, oh, he avoided the over under question again. I do. Yeah, sorry. Nine about and that. a half. So, I think total. <laughs> I think over. I feel pretty good about over. I mean, anytime our our projected wins go over the the win total itself, I feel pretty good about because that projected win total is relatively conservative. So you get nine point nine. You know, they've got two losses to play with. I feel pretty good about that because I, I think they can split. I think they should split. Michigan and Ohio State. And I think they're pretty heavy favorites over Iowa and Virginia Tech. So I think 10 wins, anything less than 10 wins would be a, a pretty major disappointment for this big, uh, for this Penn State team. Yeah, Xavier, what, what do you think about uh, Penn State this year and that nine and a half total? Oh, man. Nick put me in a weird position. When Nick said that there could be two Big Ten, te- big ten teams in the playoff this year, I was like, you know, I might want to change my prediction on Penn State right now. I don't know if I can allow that to happen. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go over. I think this is a team that has a very favorable schedule. When you look at their schedule, it's very jam-packed in the middle, which is something that they are going to benefit from. Uh, They get Michigan, Iowa, and Ohio State. Three games back-to-back-to-back weeks. That gives them a lot. That gives them a good window to focus on those three games 
and get them over with. Um, and, it, and it really helps college kids to allow them to play competitive games back to back because it doesn't allow them to lull over and play a bad team and, and be really looking to a better team in the, in the future. Uh, so I like that for Penn State this year. Um, I will say, I don't know if we're giving enough credit to Virginia Tech um, and them go, having to go to Blacksburg. I don't know if that it will be a trap game for them at that point. Um, the other game that I have to have circled is we've talked about them a lot. We'll talk about them in this episode, but we don't know what Nebraska will be next year. But we have we'll have a really good idea of what they are when they play Penn State um, on the seventh of November. Uh, and if Nebraska has shown some some growth, has shown some ability to play at a high level, that's a game I also have to circle as well because Nebraska is really you know the last you know good team on their schedule after Michigan, Iowa, and Ohio State are over. So. I'm going to go over. Uh, I think Sean Clifford makes that next step. It's going to be really tough without, you know, KJ Hamler being his number one receiver. Uh, and it's going to take some time to figure that out. Now, that's a little bit of a worry spot for me because last year they were so dynamic. Well, KJ Hamler was so dynamic and he allowed a lot of people to be open because, you know, teams had to really scheme for him going into this year coming up. I'm very scared about that, but that defense is going to keep them in a lot of ball games. It allows for Penn state to make a lot of plays on offense that they might not typically make. So I'm going to go over uh, 10 wins. So there's going to be two teams in the playoff by my estimation. I'm not happy about that. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be two teams out of the Big Ten in the playoff. But I do think Penn State's really good. I would go over on that total. I, I can't remember if I said it or not already, but I'm I'm easily going over on that total because I think the one game that they lose is Ohio State. Mm-hmm. So I th- I do think that they win the rest of the games. Now the next team here is Michigan, and we do have to remember for as much crap as specifically <laughs> myself and Xavier uh, give the Wolverines. Uh, Nick doesn't because Jim Harbaugh is his cousin, clearly. Uh, they, they look a lot alike. Um, but, but uh, you know, they're still ranked 11 for the nation on our numbers. And they're, uh, a, you know, a, at least a top 15 on every poll I've seen so far. They're still a really good team here. They're a good squad. And, uh, you know, we got them favored uh, to win 10 games, 10 and 2. Uh, the projected win total is 907, so just over 9. And the number is 9. So it's a dicier number uh, to bet on with the projected total being 907 and, and then being at nine wins. Uh, but they could easily win 10 games. But they do have a real tough stretch uh, of games here in the middle of the season. They start out at Washington, which Xavier just mentioned isn't one of the easiest places to go play on the West Coast, uh, especially in that stadium. But, you know, home field advantage, who knows? if anyone's going to be let in the stadium. So it's if, if you're going to play Washington, this is the year to do it going on the road to do it because it seems like there will probably be uh, next to no crowd. But then they get a couple cupcakes in Ball State and Arkansas State, but then they have this uh, you know stretch of Wisconsin at uh, – is that at a neutral site or is that at home? Home. Uh, that's at home. Okay. So Wisconsin, Penn State, at Michigan State, and at Minnesota – that's a pretty brutal four-game stretch. It, it eases up a little bit before they play Ohio State, but Ohio State is still on the road. So I think for me, I'm going to have to go under on any number from Michigan. Uh, Nick, your thoughts on the Wolverines this year? Well, the sort of taking everything into account, I cited when I made the, the prediction uh, that they would get to 10 wins. And, and I, I don't know that I – Love that because you make you know great point about Washington. Uh, if nothing else, the travel out there 
you know, plays a, yeah. plays a bit of a role. Uh, so that's that's going to be tricky regardless. Uh, and I don't mean to interrupt very- you, but but and I don't know if college is doing this, but the NFL has gotten a lot. The NFLPA is is pushed back on the NFL because they want teams to travel in and out of uh, so the, the straight cities, in and straight out the, the same day. So I don't know yeah. if colleges oh, no, are going to no, do no, that, no, 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 no. but they don't want they don't want players staying staying overnight, yeah. o- overnight. Ooh. So I I doubt that you could get that done in college just with the mm. logistics. I mean, just think of going to West Virginia. You know what I mean? You have to fly into mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, drive into Morgantown, and then you know I guess shower up after the game after sitting on the yeah. bus for whatever. And a YMCA. And then, yeah, and then go back to the Pittsburgh airport after that. So uh, I don't know logistics of every team, but Mm -hmm. I know that's what the NFL was planning. So like you said, the travel, I did just popped into my mind. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. And that's, that's interesting. I mean, this, this game specifically, that might be a little more doable because, you know, flying into Seattle itself, right? uh, you know, you could get a direct flight from Detroit to to Seattle and uh, be a, a little bit, you know, it's, that's not, right next door from Ann Arbor. But uh, anyway, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's certainly something to keep in in mind as, you know, it's difficult to get to some of these uh, college towns, state colleges, basically next to nothing. So uh, that, that would be difficult, but um, it's a tough schedule. I mean, Washington, Wisconsin, Penn state, uh, Michigan state can, you know, sneak up and, and knock, somebody off especially michigan uh minnesota you know purdue is dangerous even though we'll talk about how our numbers really don't like purdue but but they certainly have some elite players and and when things click on a particular night they they can be very very dangerous uh and ohio state you know at this point basically we just sort of have to assume that's going to be a loss until uh we learn otherwise but uh they are favored in 10 regular season games and, and uh, the home game against Penn state, we have them as an underdog, but by less than one point. So that is a, uh, a virtual coin flip. And, and so every game is winnable with the possible exception of, of Ohio state. Uh, but Michigan, you know, they, they've got questions. They're replacing four starters on the offensive line. They have a, a an excellent offensive line coach. They've got an excellent system in place, uh, but still that's going to be, uh, fairly difficult, you know. Uh, they've got not only a new quarterback, but they've got a quarterback competition. We don't know for sure uh, whether or not Dylan McCaffrey is going to get the job or, or Joe Milton. There are things to like about both. There's a chance we could see both. That comes with advantages on occasion, and it, it you know certainly has uh, some situations that that might make things a little bit difficult when you've got two guys coming in and out. And other times they've got a running back by committee situation at running back. I mean, they, they have three talented guys, uh, more than three, really, who, who could end up getting carries. But, uh, you know, they don't necessarily have one standout, at least that we know quite yet. The receiving core is talented, always is, but hasn't always lived up to expectations. So we're, we're hopeful there are you know things in place for Michigan potentially to take a step forward offensively in the second year under offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis, but we haven't quite seen it yet. So uh, there certainly are questions. Defensively, I think, you know, 11 out of 12 games, you feel really, really good about Michigan's defense. You feel really good about Don Brown uh, as a defensive coordinator. He's seventh in our D.C. ratings, but Ohio State has his number. I mean, the, the 
the style of play that Michigan plays on defense is very aggressive. They rely on man-to-man a ton, and they can dominate inferior competition with that. But Ohio State is not inferior competition, and, and they've definitely exposed Michigan. So uh, I, I struggle a little bit. Don't feel 100% confident uh, in making that 10-2 and two prediction. Uh, but I think that Michigan has – you know, the raw talent to, to get to 10 wins. Uh, they could certainly knock off Penn State. Uh, so, you know, that, that would allow them, of course, to, to slip up against a Wisconsin, against a Washington, Washington or against somebody that uh, would be completely unexpected and, and still get to 10 wins. Uh, so I, I, I have to say over because I did uh, predict it in, in our official documents. But, you know, Michigan's tr- <laughs> tricky. A lot of, a lot of questions uh, some some concerns. Hopefully we'll learn a lot about them in that week one game against Washington. And they're a hard team to figure out, a lot like their head coach. You know, I mean, uh, Jim Harbaugh, to no one's surprise, is kind of a weird dude. Uh, he's the the only guy I've ever sided with Colin Cowherd over, uh, <laughs> you know, or uh, cited Colin Cowherd over him when he was acting weird on Colin Cow- Cowherd's show. Uh, but th- there's no doubt, Xavier, that the talent is there. But I think this this isn't the year we should expect Michigan to beat Ohio State. Uh, yeah. I don't think. Uh, I think you know there was a blown call in a game a couple years ago, which I know you don't want to hear uh-huh. about Xavier because you can't, uh, you know, have a whole game come down to one play. But if there's, well. I, I think if there's one team that could ever <laughs> complain about a one call, Michigan got hosed a couple years ago, and, yeah. and I, you know, I feel fairly confident saying that. So, um, you know, what are your thoughts on this season? It just to me, uh, Michigan is going to be good, and I think Jim Harbaugh can get over that hump against Ohio State. I just don't think this is the year to expect it. Yeah, uh, this is one of those weird teams. They are a big question mark for me. Um, you look at that team, and for the better part of the last two or three years, or pretty much Harbaugh's tenure, you've looked at the talent on that team and said they should be better where they are. You know, this year I look at the talent and I go, that's an eight and four, nine and three team, and if they get to ten wins. Michigan fans should be ecstatic. Um, you know, the quarterback pro- the quarterback position has always been an issue since Harbaugh is there, and the offense has sputtered because of it, and I'm not so sure that that's going to change anywhere this year. Um, it, but I, I think this year, for the first time, it'll be because of the youth m- more so than the lack of talent. Um, you know, I, I think when we look at it at, at Michigan, it's going to be a difficult situation for them. I'm going to go under because I don't see 10 wins happening. Um, I think that, yes – once again, they have the talent to get it done. I just don't see them putting it all together to do so. Um, and that quarterback situation being so in flux all season, you can never it's never good running two quarterbacks. And I think they're, good, they're probably going to do that for the primary part of that, uh, next season. I think they lose to Washington, lose to Penn State, lose to Ohio State, and lose to Minnesota or Wisconsin, one of those two teams. And so I'm going to go under. And, uh, yeah, that's just uh, Michigan, I- I'm sorry, but anything less than eight wins, let's just put it this way. I think Harbaugh is on a spicy seat coming into next season. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, there's probably wiggle room, you know. And I, I asked the question in our question show about Harbaugh, you know, and uh, him potentially losing his job. I think none of us really think that uh, he'll lose enough games to get out, ousted, but losing to Ohio State again seven years in a row. Uh, that it, it hurts, and you're going to have more people calling for your job, even if you don't deserve it. 
um, you know, if that situation pans out. But the next team here is Indiana. We got them ranked four in the East, 37 overall. And uh, the projected win total from Vegas is uh, seven and a half. We have them projected to go seven and five, a seven, two, three uh, projected win total, Nick. And Indiana is one of those teams, you know, and, and it's just a little bit. You talk about the little bit of difference in talent. Because if we drop down to Michigan State, which we'll cover in a second, but uh, they're fifth and they're 49. So only 12 spots difference on a national scale. But they're only projected to win four and a half games by Vegas. So the, the slight difference in a talent edge is pretty big for Indiana here. But they have a uh, rough schedule. I mean, they open up at Wisconsin. I don't like that. Um, you know, then they have Penn State and Ohio State on back-to-back -back weeks, and then uh, and on the road uh, against Ohio State and Michigan this year. So uh, the rest of the games, though, for Indiana seem really winnable. Western Kentucky, Ball State, UConn, Maryland, at Rutgers, Michigan State, and Illinois and Purdue. So uh, those all seem winnable, but those other games are fairly rough. So I, I think I'm okay with this win total. I think I've talked myself into it by looking at the schedule, but what do you think, Nick? Yeah, I, uh, our prediction, I, I sort of rounded down for Indiana, and, and certainly, you know, that can be dangerous because Indiana has, uh, I think, proven sort of the benefit of the doubt the last couple of years that that maybe, you know, they should get a little bit more respect than they do at times, and and uh, so I'm I'm nervous <laughs> in in going under, but I think I have to side with that, and in part. Uh, because I, I just don't really see them pulling an upset. And I, I'm a little bit nervous to expect a team with Indiana that's only got a talent edge in five games to win every game that is projected to win. I, I think they'll go 3-0 in non-conference. I think you're right that opening up at Wisconsin is, is going to be very difficult. Uh, of course, you know, they play all the heavy hitters in the East – as well, and, and like you mentioned, on the road at Ohio State and at Michigan, uh, is very difficult. So I don't, I don't really expect them to to pull off any upsets. I expect them to lose all four of those games off the bat, and then you kind of are, you know, you're, you're charged with uh, 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 zero room for error, basically. Uh, Indiana plays zero games that we have projected uh, to be within a touchdown. The, the closest is uh, they're a, about seven and a half uh, favored uh, against Michigan State. And that, that's a game that they certainly could win or excuse me, certainly could lose. Michigan State could could win that one. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about Indiana. And, and one of the things as I was researching, it kind of reminded me uh, that this is you know fairly important. Alabama's new strength and conditioning staff came from Indiana. That, that shows you that things were uh, operating at a very high level behind the scenes, uh, you know, the last few years. And you kind of wonder what that changeover is going to be like. And that's something obviously you don't have a, a ton of insight into. But, you know, the, the couple of guys that Alabama plucked from that uh, staff to, to replace Scott Cochran, uh, you have to think that they're – basically going to be the best in the business or, or you know, were. And so that's uh, as big of a change, if not bigger than the change in offensive coordinator, the change, you know, th that uh, now the the quarterback that sort of saved the day the last two years, Peyton Ramsey, 
coming off the bench when Michael Penix got hurt. Uh, he's no longer there off to, to Northwestern. So there's a, a lot of a lot of changeover. And, and certainly if, if Penix can stay healthy, the offense is going to be really, really good. They've got a couple of really uh, solid players on defense, especially in the secondary. Marcelino Ball plays a real uh, you know, hybrid safety linebacker role is very, very impressive. Taiwan, uh, uh, what was his last name? <laughs> Mullen. Uh, I wanted to say Mullen at first. Taiwan Mullen has, has got, I think, all American potential. But you know, uh, Indiana, the the depth isn't really there, and there's some some uh, changes behind the scenes and, and coaching wise. It, it just I, I don't necessarily read it as, as they're going to be able to get through and win every single game they're supposed to, and I really don't trust them to, to pull off a big upset either. So uh, I have to side, I think, with with the under and, and just seven wins this year. Xavier, your thoughts on the Hoosiers? Yeah, I'm going to go with the under. I think that's favorable for them. Um, it's just not a good schedule for them. I think that they could easily lose you know, all of their last four. Uh, starting off with Wisconsin on the road is not fun. And, and really, that means they have to dominate the middle part of their schedule. I mean, I don't think they'll slip up to Western Kentucky, Ball State, or Connecticut. But that Michigan State game really is a game that might decide on whether they not whether or not they're bowl eligible for next year. Um, I think that that's a game that we have to think, you know, both teams are kind of in a, a rebuilding type of situation. Obviously, Michigan State's in a full rebuild where Indiana is just losing pieces, uh, some, some less pieces, but some pieces that were big for them in the last couple of years. And I think that it's going to be the game that decides on whether or not Indiana does even get close to what the Vegas Insider has them at. So I'm going to go with under. Um, I think six wins is, prob- is, is the most probable thing that they could do at this year. I just think the schedule makers have really – really put them in a bad situation. Starting with Wisconsin is not fun for anybody, but especially for a team that, you know, has struggled to beat more physical teams in the past, it's going to be a, a, a really tough way to start. Yeah, I mean, I, I I would have to go with the under two, and I think, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if uh, Nick mentioned or not, but uh, Michael Penix Jr., the quarterback, who, you know, Peyton Ramsey transferred over to Northwestern, he has played, uh, you know, three games two years ago and only six mm-hmm. games last year because of injury, and that is a major swing as far as lines go. If your starting quarterback gets hurt, so uh, I would have to go with the under for them as well. Now uh, I'm going to save all the bottom dwelling teams so we can kind of burn through them at the end of this conference discussion. But let's move over to Wisconsin. Uh, you know, ranked first in the West, 14 overall. Obviously, you know, losing a big part of their team in Jonathan Taylor, but they still have a very, very strong uh, team here. And uh, the Vegas total is nine and three or uh, nine and a half. We have them at nine and three and eight, uh, eight, nine, one as their projected win total. So Nick, this seems, and this is a tough schedule as well. You know, they open up against Indiana, which isn't an easy game. Uh, they play app state on September 19th. Then they're at Michigan and Notre Dame, Minnesota, in that four game stretch there. So uh, app state uh, Michigan on the road and then Notre Dame. And then of course, you know, they, they still got to play Nebraska and Iowa, which we've mentioned before a bit of wild card. So um, this is the first team where we see, we actually have them projected underneath their win total this year. Yeah. Wisconsin is, is a team that I think there are a lot of teams in the West that if, if everything sort of aligned, they could really make a run uh, potentially to a playoff spot. I mean, they, you know, 
I, I've said before, you know, Xavier and I have said uh, a little bit before that uh, maybe two win, you know, two losses might get a team into the playoff this year. Wisconsin potentially could could be uh, a team that were you know could take advantage of, of something like that if they could get through this schedule with just one loss if they can uh, beat everybody that we have them favored to beat and then you know win one of that you know the Michigan Notre Dame game it, it's going to be difficult but at at Michigan and the neutral side against Notre Dame that game being at Lambeau Field uh, those are, are both winnable I mean we, we saw Wisconsin basically dominate Michigan uh, last year so mm-hmm. there's no reason to, to think that you know they, they would be unable to do it this year and, and certainly they've got some uh, you know some spots to, to uh, of uncertainty we should say but you know you expect the running back position is going to be fine you expect uh, the linebackers are, are going to be fine and, and they've always got uh, offensive and, and defensive linemen it seems that you know even though their offensive line is is ranked 18th in our uh, strength ratings, our power uh, position strength ratings, that's probably a little low. You know, they, they probably have every defensive level is outside our top 40. That's probably a little low. They're, they're one of those teams that our numbers don't necessarily maybe respect as much as they should based on the, the team performance ratings that they're putting out uh, on both sides of the ball. I mean, last year they were in the 92s. Um, or excuse me, the 96s, uh, which is which is really elite, you know, in the in the uh, top what top 10 and in offense in both, they were number 10 in offensive uh, team performance, number nine defensive team performance, number six overall. So they played like uh, a fringe top five team last year. So you know, this is this is a team that certainly can overachieve. They're a team that can beat anybody on its schedule. Uh, but it is a difficult schedule. I mean, Appalachian State's going to beat them up a little bit. Michigan and across right, you know, cross division is, is a difficult draw. Uh, Northwestern's going to be better. Illinois, we're, we're not going to probably get to spend very much time on them. Illinois has a talent edge in 10 of its games this year, including, uh, or excuse me, the, the only one of the only ones is not Wisconsin, but that's actually very, you know, a, a very close matchup. And Illinois is going to be a team that can beat Wisconsin, beat them last year. So, uh, you know, the opportunity to slip up is is uh, certainly going to be present. Who knows what Nebraska is going to look like at the end of the year. They might be uh, a team that can put it all together and be very dangerous at the end of the season. Or they could be a team that's fighting and scratching and clawing to try to get to bowl eligibility. And, and that's also a dangerous team. So uh, a lot of the Western teams, I'm probably going to sound like a little bit of a broken record, could see their seasons going in a variety of different ways. Could see double-digit wins for Wisconsin. Could see a potential playoff push. For Wisconsin, but I could also see a step back into the eight win range. So uh, I, I don't have a strong opinion necessarily, but sort of the way the numbers shake out, it's going to be very difficult to get to 10 wins, even if they're favored in all those games. And even if they have talent uh, edges in, in that many games. So uh, I, I think I have to side with the under here uh, as good as Wisconsin is. And, and they're probably going to beat a team. Maybe they're not supposed to, but uh, the, the, you know, it's going to be a tough stretch. It's going to be difficult to get to 10 minutes. Xavier, what do you think of Wisco this year? Yeah, um, nine, and, nine and a half wins for them. 
I would typically say that's too low and go over. I think I'm going to go under. Um, this is a team that is Jack Cohn's to win or lose, and I'm not confident in Jack Cohn whatsoever. Uh, he's, you know, he lost his best receiver going with what would have been his best receiver going into this year. And Quintez Cephas, who decided to leave early for the draft and what we all thought was pretty shocking. And that's going to take its toll. It's going to be something that he has to get used to. Losing your number one receiver and number one running back in the same year is never a good thing. Um, I think going into this year, it's going to be really be on the back of the defense. And I'm not so sure. We saw it last year. You know, Wisconsin's defense was really good for about six weeks. Then they took a dip. They lost to they, they had an upset loss last year. Then they got smacked around by Ohio State. Then they had to kind of find their footing again. And I think that that's going to be something that happens to them similarly to this year. They're going to get smacked around a little bit, and they're going to have to find their footing again. You know, they don't really have a great schedule either. You know, you play Michigan and Notre Dame back-to-back weeks. That's not fun. Um, and then you do both of those teams that are probably going to be a lot of high-powered, uh, high-powered running attacks, and you go play Minnesota that's probably going to be mostly air raid. That's not a good, you know, a good uh, scenario for any ball club, especially when they rely so heavily on their defense as, as Wisconsin does. I'm more comfortable with putting them at eight and a half, nine wins. I think outside of the Michigan Notre Dame game, and maybe uh, App State, and maybe an upset loss earlier on in the year, I think once they ride that ship, they can get to the to the win total that we have them at. But uh, under is where I'm going to go with Wisconsin. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go under too. I don't know if I said it or not, but. It's just it's it, it's a strange year for Wisconsin, and like Xavier said, uh, Jack Cohn. I just I'm not gonna. Uh, there's not too many uh, Wisconsin QBs uh, I'm going to try, mm-hmm. so uh, I would go for under, under there. Now I want to lump the the next three teams together because uh, Nick, we have CFB Winning Edge has a predicted win loss total at seven and five for Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska, but all three of these Vegas numbers are very different seven for Iowa. So they're right in line with us nine for Minnesota and six and a half for Nebraska, who we mentioned before, Nebraska kind of up in the air, but Minnesota's returning a lot of talent. So I, I don't think it's surprising to see um, Minnesota have this nine number and Iowa is kind of, you know, that they have the talent edge. It seems over uh, Minnesota and Nebraska, but Nebraska has a town edge in 10 of their 12 games. So break down these three teams between Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska, and what totals you're taking on for them. Yeah, so the, the uh, and we've mentioned it before, the, the biggest storyline at this point for Iowa is something that we can't really, right. uh, you know, we, we don't really know how that's going to affect our, Exactly. That's, that's the word I was looking for. So uh, diving into their numbers a little bit, Iowa, from a pure talent standpoint, is, you know, doesn't stack up particularly well. They've been a program that has always found underrated guys and developed underrated guys into, you know, NFL type players and, and have put teams on the field that have won more than we would you know, expect if we're just looking at recruiting ratings. And that's part of the reason why we do incorporate, you know, coaching effects and, and things like that. And Kirk Ferentz, has been one of the best coaches in the Big Ten for sure. And in college football, he's certainly in the conversation. He ranks 12th in our head coach ratings. Iowa ranks 58th in overall roster strength, according to our numbers. And that includes 51st on offense, 67th on defense. So that's like high group of five level, 
you know, talent on the defensive side of the football. And, you know, perhaps that's not respecting uh, them as, as much as we should. But what that shows to me is, you know, some of those factors that it's very difficult for us to quantify have, have played a, a big role in Iowa's success. And if, you know, the, the, the weight room, if, if the culture of the program is something that now is a concern that we thought was, you know, for, for years, we thought, okay, Iowa's got it clicking on all cylinders. That makes me a little bit nervous because our our model has actually performed pretty well in Iowa games over the last two years. I think we've predicted or, or projected them uh, against the spread something like 20 and 6 over the, the last two years. So the, the way we incorporate that coaching effect has been really spot on for Iowa. Uh, now I'm very nervous about that. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm starting to lean a little bit more, I think, this year towards what is the talent edge telling me? And and as far as, you know, pure talent edges go, Iowa's only got the more talented team in three games, only one of them in, in the Big Ten, according to our numbers. Again, we might be underrating them, but that makes me a little bit nervous. So that makes me lean, I think, uh you know, I, I'm tempted to go under seven, even though Iowa is uh, 21st in our overall power ratings, which is really quite high. I mean, that that's a quality, quality team, uh, basically a, a conference contender if you're in the, the top 20 in the, in the power five. So uh, I, I'm, I'm on the fence. <laughs> I would be tempted to go under, but I think seven is about right on. Minnesota is very interesting because – Last year, we were higher on Minnesota than most, and it, it paid off. I mean, they ended up winning 11 games, had an excellent season, one of the best in, in decades and decades. This year, we project Minnesota very similarly to what we did last year. And, and pretty much everybody, it seems, expects you know a team that had a, a big jump one year is going to be able to continue that or you know build upon that or, or at least, you know, okay, now a new standard has been set. I think this Minnesota team is just as good, potentially even better from a talent standpoint this year compared to last. However, the schedule doesn't set up quite as well. And, you know, the, the talent edges don't – don't they have fewer talent edges this year than they did last year. We only give them the talent edge in five games, uh, only two of those in the Big Ten. So, you know, the, the, the schedule is more difficult. They're playing – uh, Michigan this year, right? That they they didn't play last year. BYU is a difficult uh, matchup out of the the non conference schedule. Uh, Northwestern is going to be better. Nebraska, I think, is going to be better. Even FAU actually, is a tough non conference game. Absolutely, one of the one of the more talented teams uh, in, in the group of five, at least outside of the AAC. So uh, it, it's going to be a difficult road. And, and they play Michigan and, or, or I already said that they play Wisconsin in the middle of the year instead of the end this year. So it's, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be tricky. Uh, they, they performed incredibly well last year. I think this team could be just as good and finish with a worse record. So based on that, uh, I, I think under nine is actually got more value than anything we've talked about thus far. We actually only predict them, as you said, to, to get to seven wins. Our projected wins, uh, seven and a half, even if you were to round that up to eight, you know, that's still uh, one full win below. So I feel pretty good about that. Nebraska, everybody hyped them up last year, and they, they don't. Wah, wah, wah. Absolutely. Wah. Uh, and, and, you know, there there's – 
I think everybody is a little bit gun shy maybe this year to, you know, get back on that hype train. And I'm, I'm tempted to do it. I, I think Nebraska, uh, things do set up pretty well for them. I mean, 10 talent edges, that's something. You know, Nebraska doesn't recruit particularly well in the grand scheme, you know, when they, they, they've had some top 25 classes in the past. But, you know, when you're looking at, at our roster strength numbers, they, they are not, you know, one of the elite teams in, in this conference. But the schedule picks up. Uh, sets up very, very well, especially at the beginning of the year. They should uh, be favorites all the way to the bye week and and then again uh, against Rutgers October 25th. So they should have bowl eligibility wrapped up uh, by the time they travel to Columbus, by the time the schedule gets really, really difficult. And it does. That last five is about as tough as it gets. But I I could see Nebraska going 7-0 to start and then – maybe winning one game out of that that brutal stretch, maybe going 7-0 and and then 0-5. But even if they were to do that, that gets you to 6.5. So I, I like the over for Nebraska. I think Adrian Martinez takes, takes a step forward. Hopefully he'll stay healthy. Wondell Robinson might be uh, you know in my top two or three as far as favorite players in college football. I think the defense – uh, can hopefully you know show a little bit of improvement and that offense gets closer to what we expected it would be the last couple of years and, and the schedule very very manageable in the first half so uh, I like Nebraska to get to seven wins uh, possibly even eight if, if uh, they get on a roll and can knock off one of those teams that we have them as a projected underdog late in the year. Xavier Iowa seven wins Minnesota nine Nebraska Six and a half are the uh, Vegas totals. And uh, like I said, we have them all going seven and five. So where are you on the win totals? So for Iowa, I'm going to go with over. I just think seven is a ridiculously low amount. Uh, this is an Iowa team that, barring all the, the issues going on amongst uh, you know the ranks there at Iowa, they pull together really well. Uh, and, and I think that that's going to happen again. You know, Iowa's one of those teams that somehow at the end of the year has eight or nine wins, and you wonder how they got there. And you look back at their schedule, and it's ugly win, ugly win, ugly win all down the season. And it's going to happen again. Uh, you know, their schedule is very favorable for them. They don't play anybody outside of Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin that I think will finish with double digits this year. Uh, I think that's really favorable for them as well. And the non-conference schedule is cake, cake. Cake. I mean, they're playing Northern Iowa and Northern Illinois. Enough said. I think that that really helps out that team as well. Northern Illinois' two best players, too. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And and, and, and that's a confidence builder. You get the four first week of, you know, they don't play Ohio State till week six. They could be five and oh walking into that ballgame. And I would not even bat an eyelash. Uh, For Minnesota, I'm going to go under. This is a team that I think rode the wave last year. They they rode the boat, you know, and I think that that's a team. This is going to be a team that plays a tougher schedule this year, and we'll see how good they are. Nick, I think you're absolutely right. They may be better than what they were last year and have a worse record. I get. I have them losing the FAU. I think that that's going to be a very tough game for them to win. Uh, <laughs> so talented. I think that they're going to go. I think it's tough to start their season off with Florida Atlantic, a team that's going to that outside of their head coach change is bringing back a lot of the talent that they had last year and it's going to be a high-paced offense. And it's never good coming into a first game and you've had very little time to get conditioning. The first team you play is a team from Florida that runs in circles. So never a fun time. Um, I think also 
when you look at their schedule, I think that teams are going to figure Minnesota out. I think they came with the element of surprise last year. It's tough to scheme for a team that's never played this well. Point blank, plain and simple. I think in year two, when everybody schemes for you better than what they did last year, you're easier to be easier to be. Uh, and so for Nebraska, I'm on the Nebraska hot train, baby. They're going over, <laughs> and I got them going way over. Uh, six and a half wins is ridiculous. I think Adrian Martinez, we talked about it, is a dark horse for the Heisman this year. I don't like Scott Frost, but I like Nebraska, and I think they. I think nine wins is where I have them at, honestly, um, on their schedule. I think Nebraska is a team that has been a sleeping giant for a very long time, and I think it's finally time that they wake up. Once again, non-conference schedule is fairly easy. Uh, South Dakota State, Central Michigan, and I know Cincinnati is a harder opponent, but I think they handle that because they are at home. Then they get Northwestern and Illinois and Rutgers. They could easily be 6-7-0 and going into Nebraska. Going that, into Ohio State as well. That's my right. feeling too, Xavier. Is they're going to be seven and zero going into the last five game stretch? But that is a brutal <laughs> five game stretch at the end of the year because you've got Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Those are tough games. That's a tough way You're to right. end your year. Yeah, but I'm hoping. What, 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 if I'm a Nebraska fan, what I'm hoping for is I'm hoping that Iowa by this time is completely imploded. Yes. I'm hoping the same for Minnesota. That both of those teams' seasons are pretty much dead to rights, and that right now they're just running over them. That you built up enough confidence to lose to Ohio State and Penn State in back-to-back weeks and still come back against Iowa and play well. I'm on the Nebraska train. Let's go, Adrian Martinez. Man, I'm on the Nebraska train too, and uh, I, I mean, I think. There's two easy bets in these three. I think we go over Nebraska. I think we go under Minnesota. Iowa's the wild card. I'm going to go the opposite of what Xavier said. I'm going to take the under because I think that uh, Iowa's going to be forced to make changes at the head coach, and they're just going to sweep everybody out of there. And I think at any point from now on, it's too late to make that move. And and I think that they may be – uh, forced into it, but uh, let, let's talk about the the bottom dwellers here for a second in this uh, conference here, Nick, because we've got uh, Michigan State, Rutgers, Maryland, all projected to be under five hundred, five and seven, three and nine, and five and seven uh, for Maryland, and then between uh, Northwestern, we've got at six and six, but their Vegas total is five and a half wins. Uh, five for Purdue and five for Illinois as well. So just quickly running through the bad teams in this conference, what do you think about those win totals? So let's start Michigan State, four and a half, over or under on that number? I think they can get to over. Uh, we have them projected to, to win five. They've got talent edges in seven games. However, uh, it's, you know, a lot is stacked up against Michigan State with the coaching turnover, uh, with a lot of, you know, the productive players that they had on offense are, are gone. So it's, it's going to be very difficult, but I actually think that that number is too low. I, I think five is reasonable and, and getting to six wouldn't shock me, but uh, you know, they, they probably shouldn't expect to be in a bowl game, but, but it wouldn't shock me if they get there. What about uh two and a half for Rutgers? I actually say over on that. Our numbers don't love Rutgers, but the way that uh, the projections shook out, we expect them to win almost two conference games. So uh, I, I rounded that down to just one. But, you know, they, they knock off somebody in conference play and, and have some winnable games in, in uh, the non-conference schedule as well. So I, I think that in that case, the coaching change uh, shows a little bit of a positive result and they get to three wins. Uh, Maryland, three and a half. This is the weirdest one to me. I, I 
Maryland is only favored in three games, according to our projections. They have talent edges in eight games, according to our projections. And they're the lowest rated team in the conference, according to our projections. So it's it's sort of a wild roller coaster. So I, I kind of split the difference a little bit. I think that they are better than what our number has. It's really dragged down because of Mike Loxley's just, I think he's 120 fifth and head coach rating, something like that. So uh, his, his New Mexico tenure was uh, just absolutely murderous to, to that rating. And then last year didn't really help. So uh, I think they're better than our power rating because of that. So I think they actually get to five wins. I think they get over that three and a half pretty easily. Uh, how about then the other bottom dwellers between uh, Northwestern at five and a half, uh, Purdue at five and <laughs> Illinois at five. I think Northwestern gets there. They're going to be, they're going to bounce back. I think in, in a pretty big way. Uh, they played really solid defense last year and they were just ravaged by injuries. If Peyton Ramsey, you know, can stabilize the quarterback position. Uh, I think they get to, to six, seven, maybe even eight wins. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be shocked if they're in the mix in the West, to be honest uh, for Purdue. Purdue, our numbers really, really don't like Purdue. They, you know, they like Jeff Brom and they like the high-end talent, the Rondell Moore, the David Bell, the George Karloftis. Uh, some of those are some of the best players in the Big Ten. But the depth is is an issue. The quarterback position is an issue. Uh, you know, the, the, you think schematically they're going to be able to compete, but uh, our numbers, just from a talent standpoint, really don't like them. Only give them two talent edges, uh, only one of them in Big Ten play. So I think it's going to be really difficult to get to five. Illinois is kind of the opposite story uh, and, and very similar in some ways to Maryland, where they're a very talented team. I said it before, talent edges in 10 games. Uh, but Lovey Smith, past results have not been great for his head coach rating. So that's dropped him down uh, quite a bit where they only project out to about five and a half wins. I did round that up because I think that he's gotten things figured out a little bit. That defense took a big step forward last year and, and they've upgraded talent uh, through the transfer portal. So I think Illinois actually gets to seven. Uh, I think they've got an opportunity to, to get the back-to-back -back bowl games. Xavier, your thoughts on, uh, let's start out with, uh, in the East, Michigan State, Rutgers, and Maryland at four and a half, two and a half, and three and a half. I got Michigan State in the over. Uh, as a Michigan fanboy, I can't believe that they would even be close to not being in a bowl game. Uh, at Rutgers, I can't believe you said over. I, I, looking at this, <laughs> what? Uh, Monmouth and Monmouth. <laughs> you know, that's that's uh, that's blasphemous. Uh, so I definitely got them in the under. And Maryland? At three and a half, I'll take over. I have no reason not to. Uh, they're a team that can surprise everybody. Scott knows very well. Uh, yeah, so thanks, Xavier. <laughs> uh, so I'm definitely going to take that over. Uh, so now I guess I'm moving to Northwestern, Purdue, and Illinois. Uh, Northwestern. Five and a half, five and five, by the way. Nick, what? They could be in contention for the West. Uh, they won it two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> If I was Jesus, I'd turn water into wine. But, I mean, I'm not. So, you know, I, I, no way that Northwestern is competing for anything other than do they have a trophy with somebody? Is the Paul Bunyan? No, that's not them, is it? Uh, but, you know, no. Nor, no not I'm Iowa and Minnesota, isn't it? Okay, cool. So they can't even compete for a trophy at all. So, anyways, uh, I'm going to go under on Northwestern. Uh, they have put a very sour taste in my mouth after watching any of the noonday Northwestern games after last season. It's, it's just abysmal. It was rough. 
Uh, <laughs> see, my dog is angry at you. Uh, uh, next on the list, we have Purdue. I don't like Purdue. It's going to be the Rondell Moore show all over again. That doesn't bode well for them as, you know, you can never win too many games with your receiver being your bona fide best player. It's not a bo- that does not bode well for them whatsoever. I don't like that for them. That's, I'm going to go under there. And Illinois, I'm going to go over. The Lovey Smiths are going to get to a bowl game back-to-back years. They did it last year. They're going to do it again this year. Lovey Smith's going to have that team rocking in Chicago. Uh, okay, so for me – uh, Michigan State, uh, I'm going the under. I'm not a fanboy. Uh, you know, the, the head coaching change kind of late in the process. Plus, just, in, you know, That's as true. our buddy John Lobb would call it, a Neanderthal offense, I do not like and I don't want any part of it. So, no thank you for Michigan State for me. Rutgers, uh, I mean, I just can't. I can't. So, uh, I'm not going to put any money on Rutgers to win three games and then sit here and have to root for them to win games against not Monmouth. Uh, because I don't think they can do it. Uh, so I'm out on Rutgers, Maryland. Uh, Xavier uh, was a jerk and mentioned it, but he was also right. Uh, they can beat anyone at any time, and I wouldn't be shocked. I'll take the over on three and a half for them. Uh, this isn't going to be uh, happy for somebody here. My thoughts on Northwestern. I'm going over. Uh, I think we're not the only. We're not the only source that has them with a much improved team. We've seen them win recently. It's not long ago. It, you know, uh, Nick and I know because we're much older than you, Xavier, that two years isn't that long a time. It probably <laughs> seems like forever for you. It's wow. not that long ago. Uh, so I think they can turn around. Purdue, I want to bet Purdue, but I think this this talent edge uh, in two of ten games is fairly telling. Uh, so I don't think they get to five wins. But I think the reverse for Illinois, who has the talent edge in uh, 10 of 12 games, uh, and their number is the same five, I'm going to go over at Illinois and the Fighting Lovey Smiths and get them to a bowl game again. Nick, I'm telling you, Northwestern is your USF from last year. (laughs) No, no, no. Watch what I say. They're going to be two and a nine, and Nick's going to be like, "Well, uh, I'm going to take learn some lessons from last year." <laughs> uh, I'm going to have I'm going to have bets with Xavier because I'm going to take <laughs> uh, I'm I'm going to take uh, Northwestern to go over, and I'm taking Minnesota over FAU in that week one game. So I would uh, also take Minnesota over FAU. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in favor by double digit points. So. <laughs> I'm putting the hundred dollars down. I'll call you guys at the bank. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I'll, 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 I'll give my PayPal information for sure. Uh, so uh, once again, uh, we've gone long on the Power Five conference, so we do have to lightning round a little bit on the G Five. So I'll give you a team, and within a sentence or two, Nick Allen, uh, within a sentence or two, uh, tell me why they are going to go over or under their win total. So we'll start out with Buffalo. In the MAC, uh, seven and a half is their total. So, are you think they're over or under that total? Over. They're favored in nine. Talent edges in eight. Best team in the MAC. Hey, wow! Look at that, wow. uh, Xavier. That over was. or under? <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go over. I, I'm gonna agree with Nick on that one. Yeah, I think yeah. best team. Yeah, me too. Mac best is player great. too, Jared Patterson. Yeah, Jared Patterson by far. Yeah, and Marks is a good backup to him as well. Even if something happened to him. So uh, Buffalo's in a good position. You know, first and ranked 72nd in the MAC. by the way. No team in the Big Ten is ranked lower than 68. So just... Mm, uh, Rutgers and 
Maryland. I was like, there's no way oh, Rutgers. Right. <laughs> no <laughs> way Rutgers. I was looking at, was looking at um, Purdue. Yeah, yeah. So Rutgers and Maryland, obviously pretty bad, 92 and 94. But 72 is the highest. Only two teams rated lower right. than Buffalo overall. Um, okay, okay, so I, I, I'll take the over as well. Ohio, uh, eight and a half is the Vegas insider win total. We got them at eight and four. Nick, what do you think? I I lean under. We we haven't favored in nine, but Ohio, as good as they have been, has shown uh, a tendency to lose games that they shouldn't. So uh, the the talent edges give me pause. Only five. Uh, so I, I think that that coupled with a, a history of a, a couple of inexplicable losses, uh, I think they go under. Yeah, and a brand new quarterback too. I'm going to go under Xavier. That's exactly what I'm going over. Brand new quarterback is not good for uh, trying to get eight wins plus in a season. It's never a good idea. You said over. You meant you meant under. Yeah, I'm going to say under. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, clarifying. <laughs> clarifying. Uh, and then the next team, Miami of Ohio, ranked 100 overall, third in the East. Uh, their total is six and a half. We got them at seven and five. Uh, talent edges in seven games. I think uh, they're kind of the opposite of Ohio, where you have a random win uh, outside mm-hmm. out of nowhere for Miami of Ohio. Nick, what do you think on that total? Absolutely, defending MAC champions. They they kind of got there a year <laughs> earlier than anybody would have expected. Uh, so you know, most expect them to be the team to beat this year. And, and I think that they kind of overachieved last year, but this is a very solid team. It's it's uh, somewhat similar maybe to a Minnesota where the team might be just as good, if not better itself, but end up with a, a worse record. So I think the number is uh, very fair. I think that they can still get over because I think you're right. I, I do like Chuck Martin and sort of the job that he's done there. And they are a, a pretty experienced group, still a little young, but, uh, but very experienced, uh, have a, a now sophomore quarterback with a, a year of uh, experience as a starter under his belt. So I think they get to seven, but I think that's pretty close to the max. I'd be very surprised if they did any better than eight and four. Xavier, your thoughts? Yeah, I, they have the Mac freshman of the year in Brett Gabbard. I think he improves on what he did last year. Uh, they won the Mac last year, and I think and a lot of people were surprised by it. Six and a half wins, I think I'm going to go over here. I think they're a team that can easily get to seven or eight, and I think Brett Gabbard makes that next step to help them get to that point. Kent State, five and a half. Uh, Town edges in five games. We got them predicted to go four and eight. So probably still a uh, an under on a rebuilding squad out of the MAC in Kent State, right, Nick? It is, yeah. And, and this is oddly enough, I think there's going to be a little bit of value on this under because Kent State was exciting last year. They got to a bowl game. Dustin Crum got a little bit of a buzz from some NFL draft people, from some CFF folks. You know, they were exciting. They run an exciting style of offense. But this is a roster that ranks 104th. In the country, sixth in the MAC, decent, but you know, defensively, uh, they rank 114th overall, eighth in the MAC. So they're they're going to struggle defensively. They're going to have to win a lot of shootouts, and and I don't love uh, the way the schedule sets up. And, and obviously, I mean, playing Penn State, Kentucky, and Alabama, those are at least two guaranteed losses. They could potentially scare Kentucky, but uh, you know, odds are you're you're looking at 0 and three at but one to two sentences. <laughs> So uh, I like the under. I think there's value on the under. Dustin Crum is good, but, you know, 
under. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm I'm going under too, Xavier. Sorry, that was my cattle prod there. Not so subtle. Uh Xavier, uh over or under on Kent State. You're I'm muted. Go under. Oh no, you're good now. Don't okay. touch wires. What are you doing? I, I was just about to. I'm gonna go under. <laughs> <laughs> Under my Kent State, uh, Akron and Bowling Green. Uh, these are two tough teams uh, because the the win totals actually look bettable. Uh, you know, uh, two is the total from Vegas on Akron, two and a half on Bowling Green. Akron is favored to win, uh, projected by us to win four games, uh, three for Bowling Green. So they're both ahead of their Vegas total. Nick, what are you doing on Akron and Bowling Green? Over on both. A lot of toss-up games, and, and Akron uh, should get a little bit better quarterback play, a little bit better offense this year. Bowling Green actually has some decent offensive players. Quentin Morris tight end, running back uh, Andrew Clare. A couple of good tight, uh, running backs, actually. So I, I like both to go over. Both were so bad last year that I think yeah. the number fell down. Uh, I think there's opportunity to, to for both to go over get to three or four wins each. Yeah, and it's just an easy – it's easy to look at – I mean, Akron didn't win a game last year, right? They were over. So yeah. uh, it's easy to look at them and go, how are they going to go from zero to two? You know, that's a two-game improvement, but we got them projected for four, uh, and they should have won a couple of those games last year, which they, you know, lost. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm absolutely with you on Akron. I'm a little less convinced on Bowling Green, but I think I'd take the over on both of them as well. Xavier, your thoughts? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the over on Akron. I'm going to actually – I want to take the under on Bowling Green. I really do. Their non-conference schedule doesn't give me any hope that they're going to be able to win two games outside of conference. Uh, and it doesn't really give me uh, confidence that to win, you know, the remaining any games in conference as well. Robert Morris is the only win I see looking at their schedule right now. Uh, I think Liberty's a toss-up at this moment. Uh, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go over. two. I just think two wins is being too harsh to go under. Uh, so I'll go over on both teams. Now the top three teams in the – the west of the MAC, Toledo, Western Michigan, and Central Michigan. We have them all projected to go seven and five once again, but the win totals six and a half for Toledo, six and a half for Western Michigan, and uh, Central Michigan is seven. Uh, I'm assuming it's because Central Michigan's offense is fun to watch, so people will bet them more. Uh, Nick, I don't know if that factors into uh, Vegas' stuff, but I'm assuming it does. Uh, so what do you think about the win totals on those three teams? I like Toledo to go over. They were very disappointing. One of the, the When you look at our team performance ratings from year to year, they were the uh, team that took the biggest step back in the MAC last year. A lot of year. injuries last year, too. They did. They did. But this is arguably the most talented team, uh, second most really to, to Western Michigan, but has talent edges in nine games, and including seven in conference play. So I think based on talent alone – uh, they get to the over there. Western Michigan is is similar. I mean, this is the most talented team in the MAC, really neck and neck with with Toledo. So I think getting to seven is certainly doable. Uh, they they have to replace uh, some talented guys, especially at the running back position. Levante Bellamy uh, was, was excellent, but I, I think that the talent there is good enough to get to seven, and and that's going to be a really great race uh, for the division title. Central Michigan. I would lean under. Uh, they took a huge step forward, were the biggest gainer as far as uh, wins uh, from 2018 to, to 2019, had just one win in 2018 and uh, won, what, seven last year, something like that. So uh, I, I think that people might be 
you know, maybe maybe they're a little bit inflated. They uh, could potentially regress to the mean. They're a talented team, like you said, a lot of great players on offense, uh, running back and, and receivers uh, especially. Uh, but quarterback situation is in flux, uh, so I, I would lean under. So, Xavier, your thoughts on uh, Toledo, six and a half, Western Michigan, six and a half, Central Michigan, seven. Yeah, I'm going to go over on Toledo, um, Western Michigan. I, I'm personally going to go over as well. I, I'm Central Michigan's weird for me. Uh, when you have the success you have kind of out of nowhere, once again, kind of like Minnesota when I was saying earlier, is that it gives teams kind of a year to learn how who you are and that's placed out that you like to play and what made you so successful in the last year. And so normally kids kind of take or teams normally take that kind of dip in that sophomore year between successes. And I think that we're going to see that this year with uh, Central Michigan, excuse me. Yeah, with Central Michigan. And so I'm going to go ahead and go under with them. So that's over, over, under. Yeah, same for me. I'm same with uh, Xavier. Over, over, under on those three teams. And the last three teams here in the MAC. All, you know, look, we don't have a projection to play horribly. Six and six, five and seven, five and seven. So a game away from a bowl, but talent edges. Ball State, very high at seven and five, three and nine for Northern Illinois, and two and 10 for Eastern Michigan. And the Vegas numbers show that as well. A six wins for Ball State is the number five and a half for Northern Illinois and four for Eastern Michigan. So it seems like. Eastern Michigan is the most tantalizing one to bet the over on, but they they only have they have talent. It's just only two games, so I feel like these three teams and all ranked below 100 for us, Nick, are three of the harder ones to pinpoint a win total on. They are, uh, and the MAC in itself is very difficult. The MAC, our numbers, I, I probably should have said this earlier, were not good in MAC games last year. Made a lot of improvements, <laughs> learned a lot from that experience. So I think we've got a better read on the conference coming into this year. But it's it's a very difficult conference to project because the teams there's really not much of a gap at all. Right. Even between the top and the bottom. I mean, Akron and Bowling Green were very, very, very bad last year. But the other ten teams. You know, it, you wouldn't be shocked at, at any uh, how they finish in the standings regardless. So uh, that all being said, Ball State is a team that if you're looking for a dark horse to win the conference, to jump up and sort of unexpectedly do it like Miami of Ohio did last year, take a, take a look at Ball State. They play a lot of toss-up games. If those go in the right direction, uh, they have an opportunity to, to come out on top. I mean, the, the winner, the champion of this conference is probably going to have three or four losses. So uh, Ball State as a team's got a lot of talent on offense, got some really solid, you know, two all Mac players in, in the secondary, a couple of solid linebackers as well. They were actually the most improved team. They were the opposite of Toledo in uh, team performance from year to year uh, last year. So I think that they do, you know, they were better than their record showed. So I think they have uh, some opportunity for growth, even though our projection is only six wins. I think they get to seven. I think they could contend for the West. Northern Illinois, I feel, I, I feel pretty pessimistic about Northern Illinois. They lost three of their best players uh, to the tra- – four, five to, of their best players to the transfer portal last year, guys who were going to be starters. Uh, I, I don't I don't like it. I think they go under. Eastern Michigan is very tricky because somewhat similar to Iowa, they've got pretty decent coach ratings, ratings that we try to, uh, you know, put a number on that are things that are difficult to quantify. They've performed well in those, but in the numbers that we can quantify talent, you know, 10 and two in, in talent edges is, is really, really difficult. So it looks like they would be a good 
uh, bet to go over four, just based on what we've seen in, in recent years. But the talent numbers and the games we have them favored are, are both under that. So I'm really, really hesitant. Even though I did predict over, I don't think I would suggest that. Uh, yeah, so the last three teams, Xavier, uh, Ball State, Northern Illinois, Eastern Michigan. Yeah, uh, Ball State, I'm going to go over. This is a team, like Nick said, was toss-up central last year. I mean, they finished 5-7, and seven, so you can only imagine if they had won their toss-ups last year, what their record would have actually been. So I'm going to go over for them. Uh, Northern Illinois has had a mass exodus, and in a year where you can't even meet with your players – you know, three months out from the season, it's never good for your best players to say, I'm going to go head out before the season even starts. So I'm going to go over for them. It's just not a good situation to try to win ball games. In. Under for uh, them. Say it again. Oh, under for them. And then Eastern Michigan, uh, I'm, I'm going to go over. Uh, this is a team, I think, that once again, Nick hit it on the head. This is a conference that's, in my opinion, the biggest toss-up conference that we will talk about for the entire time. And I think that Eastern Michigan could easily win five games or five or six games, and we go, that makes sense, just because we have to see and find out what teams are even good in the MAC come midway through the year because it's such a, it's such a toss-up. So I'm going to go over uh, for Eastern Michigan. So it was over, under, over. Yeah, I'm going to go. Uh, over for Ball State, I'm with both you guys. Uh, just a pretty good talent edge uh, for them. I'm going to go under Northern Illinois, like you guys mentioned. The mass exodus just does not instill any confidence there. And I just flat out don't like the fact that Eastern Michigan only has two games where they have talent edges. So I'm going to take the under <laughs> for Eastern Michigan as well. So uh, that is going to wrap it up for us today. Uh, which uh, conferences are we doing next week, Nick? Next week, the Pac-12, the Mountain West, and we'll sneak BYU in because uh, we always have so much time left over. All right. Pac-12 <laughs> after dark. That's right. So, and we will uh, – hey, look, it wasn't two hours, all right? We shaved 10 minutes off from last week. We're getting so, uh, We're getting Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll hit our stride by the time these previews are over. So, and I'm sure we'll remember it next year too uh, <laughs> with all that's going on this year. But that is going to wrap it up for us today. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports, at CFB Winning Edge, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, to follow us all on Twitter. And please go and check out the CFB Winning Edge Patreon if you would. Uh, Patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge, pretty easy to find. And take a look at all the stuff we got going over there. But we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon-supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details.